You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. All right, good morning. Um, If you are a kid, you are released to your classroom now. Um, And if you want to follow along with the um, scripture reading this morning, um, and please remain standing while we read um, from James 5, verses 1 through 11. Um, all right. Now listen, you rich, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Um, Father, we are just so thankful for a place that we can come in freedom um, and worship you as your body together. Um, Thank you for each person that is here this morning. Um, Please open our hearts and our ears to receive the word that you have from uh, you have for us this morning, and it's in Christ's name, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you do not have a Bible, um, please raise your hand. We have people in the back that would love to give you one for free. Um, here at New King, we believe that. This is the Word of God. It actually says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and that's exactly what we believe. We believe that it's precious. Um, I was actually speaking with some guys not too long ago, and it reminded me of, um, just saying that reminds me of a lady I saw once when I was in Africa. And this lady was in well over her 80s, and she had never had the Word of God in her own language. And I saw her receive God's word for the first time in her language, a Choli language. And she took the Bible, and she could barely, she could barely walk, but she took this Bible and just held it up and just starts going back and forth like this, just so happy to have God's word. Um, I'm often convicted by that. I, I don't really, I'm not as excited as that lady is over the word of God, but it's precious. So, Man, this is a heavy message today. 
I'm just going to be real honest with you. This is heavy, but it's hopeful. Um, Jesus's some of his first words to his followers were, come, follow me. I don't think that they had any idea, maybe they did, of what it would actually cost them. But I do know this from Scripture. If you read throughout, you see that the longer they followed Jesus, the more passionate they became about remaining with him to the end, no matter the cost. And so today, as we dive into James here, um, we're going to help we're going to just let James and God help us count the cost of following Jesus. And in so doing, see that any bit of suffering that we go through, Christians, is absolutely worth it. That's what we're going to do today. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Lord, I, um, I feel really unworthy and unable to even speak on this topic. I don't feel like I've even scratched the surface of what it really means to suffer for your name. But Lord, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would give give us a glimpse into that. Let us see that it's worth every bit of suffering we could endure on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the past few months, we've been going through James, we've been working through it, and I love James. He's so straightforward. He's blunt, he's in your face. He makes you think about the things and wrestle with things you don't really sometimes want to go to. You know, he's in your face, he's in your business. You're just like, ah, that doesn't feel so great, James. Why are you making me do that? But he's ultimately making us wrestle with what our heart's ultimate treasure really is. You know, that's what he's doing all through James. In chapter 4, we saw him talk about these passions of war that are inside of us. And then here in chapter 5, what Rebecca just read, we see the realities of, these, of this war outside of us, right? And so as, as we go through this, I want to, uh, before we even like, start picking the text apart, I want to I lay just some key theological foundations that we need to know that James is assuming his audience already gets, Okay, I'm going to run through them really quick. Here's the first one. That there is an ongoing battle with a real enemy. And this is also true for us today. There's an ongoing battle with a real enemy, therefore suffering is inevitable. Two, the, this battlefield that we're on is not our home. And number three, although the battle still rages, the victory, the war has been won by Jesus. Amen. So let's go into this with that. And here's the reality. Right now, where we sit, the world consists of two opposing forces. The domain of darkness and the kingdom of light. Or as James may say, the friends of God and friends of the world, right? We've been seeing that all through here. Declaring friendship with one is declaring war with the other. Did you know that before you and I lay down our head tonight on the pillow, eight people, eight people statistically, eight people will have given their life today for choosing to follow Jesus somewhere in the world. Eight people. War has been declared, whether you like it or not, or whether you're aware of it or not. Praise Jesus that he's won this war, though. 
life and death. He's won it. So James breaks up this section of chapter 5 into two sections, right? If you look at the text, verses 1 through 6, we see him breaking it up there, and then in 7 through 11, we see him break it up in two sections. And it's connected by verse 7. He connects the two. Um, in verses 1 through 6, we see him give, he, he's calling out the friends of the world. He's given a warning, calling out the friends of the world. These people are intoxicated on the momentary pleasures of the world. They've, and it's evident by the use of their wealth and how they persecute the righteous. Verses 7 through 11, we see individuals who are friends of God. This is the church, those who have chosen to follow Jesus. They've turned from their own sin and chosen to bow their knee to the one true king, Jesus. These individuals are suffering at the hand of those in verses 1 through 6. We see this. They're victims of fraud, injustice, condemnation, and even murder. There is real difficulty, real pain and heartache. And James is, is encouraging these people. He's saying, stick it out. Hang on. It's worth it. I promise. That's what he's saying here. So how does he tell us? What is he saying to them? How is he saying to suffer well, endure? What does he say? Look at verse 7. He talks about all the injustices and pain that's going through. And then he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. He's saying be patient. Isn't, this like goes against everything in us, right? To be patient. We're constantly finding ways not to be patient, not to wait. Our, like If we're just being real, don't we? Like we've got apps, we've got phones. Uh, watches that connect with our phones, and we're just, we, we don't like waiting. We do not like waiting. And efficiency is all good. Don't hear me saying it's not. But I'm just saying, we're just not good at waiting when it's beneficial for us. It's hard. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit, not of the flesh. So being patient in the midst of suffering, if I'm real honest with you, it sounds like a good way to get beat by the enemy. If I'm just, if, let's just be, let's throw it out there, right? Sounds like a good way to get beat. Let's just be patient. Well, I think it feels like that, and we think that because of a misconception about patience and suffering. So today, we're going to look at two misconceptions about patience, specifically in suffering for the child of God. Two misconceptions that we have very often about these things. And then we're going to look at a biblical truth after the misconception that, is, that we can hold on to and show us that patience and suffering is valuable, right? Okay, so misconception number one, if you're a note taker, I see some of you writing down, that's good. Number one, misconception number one, patience in suffering is passive. Sometimes that's what we think, right? It's just passive, be patient, okay, I'll just sit here, I'll sit on my hands, right? That's kind of what we think, but here's the biblical truth, you ready? The biblical truth, patience in suffering is active because we're waiting in hope. Say that again. Patience in suffering is active because we're waiting in hope. So let's look at waiting in hope. Hope. Look at verses 7 through 8. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. 
establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Isn't that good stuff? He gives us an example of a farmer who plants and he waits. He waits on the early and late, late rains. He just waits. He's actively waiting in hope for the precious fruit. But So you may say, well, that doesn't sound active, right? What do you mean? It kind of sounds passive. No, no, it's not. Look, what he, look how he says and look what he talks about. Hopeful waiting. Look at what it looks like. Verse 8, he says, You also, you also, just like the farmer who is hopefully waiting, you also, what does he say? Look, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. Or in some translations, it says, strengthen your hearts. And by hearts, it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. Strengthen our hearts. In what? In what? Look at, look at the text. He says, establish your hearts for or because the coming of the Lord is at hand. And just before the analogy of the farmer, he also says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So James sandwiches this analogy of this hopeful farmer waiting in the return of God. He locks this active hope during painful times of injustice explicitly into Jesus coming back one day. Amen. Come on. So the question is, why does he tell us to hope in this? Why, is, why should this be a good thing for us as Christians? Well, see, as Christians, we have received good news of grace. We just sang about it. Good news of grace that carries with it an active, living hope that changes everything for us. Changes everything. The pure gospel the pure gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and came back to life. That brings eternal hope for anyone who turns from their sin and their rebellion from God and believe in Jesus. We have eternal life, eternal hope in him. That's the gospel. And because of grace, when Jesus says, done, it's game over for the domain of darkness, for the world and for the enemy. It's game over. James' audience knows this. And they, will know, they know that there will be no injustice that ever goes unpunished by the righteous judge. They know this. They know that when Jesus comes back, he's coming to get them to, to be with him forever. They know this. They know that he's going to restore everything to the way it was supposed to be. New heavens, new earth, no more pain, no more suffering, no more persecution. Perfection forever with each other and Jesus. That's what's coming. So, okay, that's, that's what the coming of the Lord is going, is, is, that's what we're hoping in. But the natural question is, why does hoping in Christ's future return bring power in our present sufferings? Like, I believe that. I know that's coming. I know it's happening but what about now? Why does James say look to that for now? Or in other words, if you've been passed over for a promotion at work because you're following Jesus, and it's evident in how you're living at work, how you're speaking, and how you're loving other people, or if you're being ridiculed by your circle of friends that don't know Jesus, or in your dorm room, what what hope, what, what does hope do in those moments right now? 
How does this help? Let's look. If you're looking forward to Jesus' return and not dreading it, you've been visited by his grace, right? Yeah. You've received good news that you have new life in him and with him for eternity. And so packaged in with this precious, gracious gift of good news that Jesus is coming again for those who trust in him, it also entails two present realities for us to hold on to in our sufferings. In Colossians 2, Paul says, You who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Listen, Jesus has stripped Satan of the one weapon that he could use to put your soul into hell for eternity. He's taken that one weapon away from him. He's disarmed him. Jesus took on our sin to give us life. So Satan's tactics now are to try to get us drunk on the pleasures of the world and so that we may not see or that we may lose sight of the pleasures of Jesus for eternity. That's what he's trying to do. He's been trying to do it from the beginning. But that's not all he did for us on the cross. Paul also tells believers in Romans 5 to rejoice in sufferings. Rejoice in sufferings. What? Rejoice. Because it leads to hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's given himself to us in the battle right now. We're not alone. We're not alone. He's given himself to us right now as a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, right? His presence carries the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul's getting at to his prayer for the Ephesians. This power that raised him from the dead is in our lives, right? The hope we're talking about is living and active and powerful. And this is what strengthens our hearts, our mind, will, and emotions day to day, day in and day out. It's the power of the presence of God. Paul gets it, Peter gets at the same idea in 1 Peter. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes on to say that we're being guarded by the power of God. It's him that gives us life. It's him that gets us to the end. It's all grace, right? See, hoping in Christ's return brings power in the present suffering because it reflects our faith in Jesus, who not only disarmed our enemy, but gives us power of his presence in the present sufferings behind enemy lines. This isn't just theoretical. He's living in us, right? Do you know that? And just take a second and think about that. Jesus is living in you by his spirit. Hmm. So establish your heart, James says. Strengthen your heart. Strengthen your mind, will, and emotions in these realities. Or as Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I recently read a 
very powerful, powerful illustration that it was in the book, God is the Gospel. And he talks about this idea of this good news that, that we have heard and hope, this living hope. And it paints the picture of a World War II prisoner camp. Inside you have these prisoners who are skinny, they smell, they haven't eaten. They're inside this barbed wire fence. They're seeing and smelling and experiencing things that are some of the most awful things we could ever even imagine. Outside the barbed wire, people are just, just business as usual. People walk in the streets. Prisoners walk in the perimeter of the, of, the, of the compound. But then imagine a radio gets smuggled into the prisoner camp. And they get this radio in, into the yard, and the prisoners are huddled around it, and they're listening really quietly. And they get good news. They get good news that the war has been won. The Allied forces have, have victory, and they're moving through, and their freedom is imminent. They're about to get out. They start jumping with what little bit of energy they've got. They're running around, their hands up in the air. Some of them can't even get off the ground because they don't have any energy to do, but they're just doing this for, yes, yes. People outside are looking in. They're like, what is going on? Their circumstances haven't changed. Their circumstances haven't changed at all. It doesn't make sense to the people outside, but what they don't understand, these people have received good news that brings living hope, and it changes everything for these prisoners. Right? They're, they're still behind enemy lines. It's living hope. So if you're in Christ today and you're walking through a season of suffering, remember you have a living hope inside of you, rooted in the grace and power of Jesus, that can strengthen your heart no matter what you go through. and he will bring you home. If you're not in a season of suffering, I'd ask how your heart is being molded right now by a resurrected hope day to day. Are you reading the Bible and getting to know Jesus like he's coming back any minute now? He's coming back any minute. Mark says when he comes back, he's coming in the clouds in power and glory. Is your attitude and prayer life or how you love other people, is it impacted by a resurrected living hope that his return, Jesus' return is imminent? Are the decisions we're making now with our families or at work, with our friends, does it reflect a living hope that we, we believe Jesus is coming back? See, hope is one of the main differences between verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 11. One has no hope. They're hoping in the world. They're hoping in, in power and wealth to satisfy. That's what their hope is in. Verses 7 through 11, they found hope in Jesus already. So it doesn't matter what you do to me. And the fact is, they're actually both people here are suffering. One just has hope, one doesn't. Patience in suffering is not passive, but is actively hoping in the return of Christ, being transformed by the power of his presence. Misconception number two. 
Patience and suffering is pointless. Misconception number two, patience in suffering is pointless. Biblical truth, patience in suffering has purpose because it's producing steadfastness in us. It's doing something. So what are we doing? We're waiting with purpose. We're waiting with purpose. Now James give us, gives us the prophets, and specifically Job as an example to look at when it comes to patience and suffering. Prophets would often bring a message of warning and hope to people in tough situations, usually God's people, and would have to suffer themselves while representing God. It wasn't an easy call. But look at verse 10. Look at what verse 10 says. We read 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, speaking of the prophets who suffered, he says, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Or some translations say, who endured or who persevered. We consider them blessed. James started with this in chapter 1. Do you remember? Chapter 1, verse 2. Flip over to chapter 1, verse 2. What does he say? He says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith does what? It produces steadfastness. Yeah. It produces endurance. It produces perseverance. So, but what good is steadfastness? What good is it? I mean, it it has to be some good. James here says count it joy because it produces it. Well, as we patiently wait through suffering and trials, as we wait and hang on to our faith in the midst of afflictions, James is telling us that this steadfastness leads to something. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He will receive the crown of life. Peter says a similar thing to the church in Asia Minor who are undergoing intense persecution. Remember this? He says in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's encouragement was to not lose heart. He said, for these light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So this crown of life, as James talks about, or this eternal weight of glory that Paul talks about, or this experience of praise and honor and glory in Jesus as Peter talks about, what is it getting at? It's all getting at that we get Jesus. We get him. That's the purpose of steadfastness. We go through sufferings, it produces steadfastness, and we get him. 
he comes back. Suffering with patience is not pointless, but has purpose throughout all eternity. I don't know where you are today. You may be in a time of suffering. In a room this big, there probably is someone who's suffering right now. Or you may enter into one tomorrow. We don't know, right? In preparing this message, I came across a comparison map of a map of the world where it showed the the areas in the world of highest persecution. And then another map that showed a map of the world where it had the highest rate of growth among Christians. And you know, if you were to take those two maps and line them up across each other, they would be right smack dab on top of each other. Behind me on the screen, <clears throat> you will see brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering right now as we sit in this room. They're on the Voice of the Martyrs website. You can go, you can look, you can read their stories, and you can pray specifically for them. These are real people, real dads, real moms, suffering right now. I want to direct your attention to one, Ali Mujang. A former Muslim who found Jesus. He no longer bows to Allah, but he bows his knee to the one true King Jesus. He is of the Uyghur ethnicity and chose to follow Jesus with no regrets. Ali Ali Mujiang lives in China and was arrested by authorities in February of 2008, where he still remains in prison. Listen to his charges, I quote, Since 2002, Ali Mujiang has been engaging in the name of employment in activities of illegal religious infiltration, which include preaching Christianity among the Uyghur ethnicity, distributing religious materials and converting Christians Oh, how I would love to sit at this guy's feet. Just learn. Who knows what all God is doing through this guy in prison for his name and his glory. He's a husband. He's a dad of two. For the past 12 years, he could only see his wife and kids once every three months for 15 minutes. His wife asked for prayer. She says, and I quote, he needs prayer in prison for there are many who are antagonistic. And then, she says, pray for her two boys. They've suffered during her husband's long imprisonment. She said her eight-year-old is always dreaming about when his dad gets out. Her oldest son has lost hope, hope, and is sad and discouraged. Suffering hurts and is gut-wrenching at times, but we as Christians, we have real hope and purpose through it. Please pray for these families. Go to the website, look at it, read, pray for them. They're brothers and sisters. 
Did you know where we are right now also has some of the highest chances of persecution in the years to come just because of the makeup of our region? Right here, where we are, where you and I sit and stand. So be encouraged that where you and I also sit and stand also has some of the highest potential of growth right here in the Northeast, in Vermont, in Burlington. So today, Jesus says, come, follow me. There will be cost, absolutely. But remember, patience and suffering is not passive, but it's active in a living hope of Jesus' return, which God has guaranteed by giving us his spirit giving us his spirit to powerfully work in our present sufferings to get us to the end. By his grace, he strengthens us. He strengthens our hearts, our mind, our will, our emotions day to day. He strengthens us with power that raised Jesus from the dead. This isn't theoretical. This is real. Know that your suffering is not pointless, but it has eternal significance. God is using it to produce in you produce endurance, which is creating an eternal weight of glory, a crown of life that will one day lead you right into praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. No one can take that from us. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters all over the globe that are suffering just because they chose to follow you. Lord, give us eternal eyes. Help us see that this momentary world, the things that the world throws at us and says, hey, this will satisfy us, will give you hope. Lord, help us see it accurately. Let us know that it's not worth anything. Lord, would you change our hearts this morning. Would you let us walk out of here changed? Would you strengthen our hearts, strengthen our mind, will, and our emotions in your return? Thank you for disarming the enemy, taking it away from him, and the victory that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.